This is the Roaring Elephant podcast, and this is the best podcast we ever did, because Dave is going to tell everybody how not to fail. Hi, Dave. No pressure. <laughs> hello, hello, y'all. <laughs> well, uh, obviously, we, we both have significant experience in, in failure. Yes, and, spectacularly uh, so. <laughs> so we are obviously the right people to, to have this conversation. However, uh, that's not actually the inspiration for this particular session. Uh, I'm not uh, inspiring anymore. Well, obviously you are. But the actual inspiration here was <laughs> an article we came across, um, which was talking about technology project, project failures and uh, why so many of them fail and why companies shouldn't do them. It was all very doom and gloom. And honestly, uh, neither Jan nor I actually agreed with the premise of the article. Mm -hmm. um, but what we did think was quite nice, and it's up on the, the screen right now for those of you following along at home on, on the land of YouTube, is there's this diagram that they awkwardly called the fishbone of failure or something like that. And it's a, it's a diagram that they that uh, the author used to kind of tease out um, what he saw as being the sort of six primary categories of why technology projects fail. And he split those into two further categories of, you know, if you've got these first three, then you can, you know, you can resolve those as you're doing the project or before you do the project or, you know, that side of things. And he, he had then a second category of three sort of situations that if you have these, like, don't even bother starting until you've resolved them, essentially. And some of them, he, in his opinion, these are unresolvable. You are doomed. Just you know, give up and go and start a new job somewhere else. That's um, pretty much which I think kind was... of disconnected with the article. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At that point, we took a hard right and we thought, well, we'll, we'll take the diagram and, mm -hmm. uh, and talk about that instead. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you found it. You started off. All this right. Is your baby. So I'm just going to react and be negative, as you said. I always am. <laughs> this is true. This is basically <laughs> this is this is Jan's perfect episode because he can just uh, complain the whole episode about how terrible things are. Um, so let's let's talk about the things that uh, that come up in projects. That I mean, I, I've seen all of these so many times. It's it's almost a little bit disturbing to be honest, but. Um, the first category of, of three things are those that are, you know, should be resolvable, should be, uh, they're definitely risks to, they create risks to projects, but you should be able to overcome them. And, uh, let's, let's get into yeah. it. So the first one is, is definition problems and the, it, it's, it's the number one thing that I see in, in my my working career is, you know, projects that have unclear sort of goals, unclear success criteria, you know, maybe, I mean, I can't, I can't count the number of times I've seen projects maybe started by an enthusiastic mm -hmm. techie who's interested in some, some new feature, widget, technology, whatever it might be. And you know can shoehorn it into something that he's doing on a daily basis, yet there's no real business case for them to do it, or at least 
they haven't thought about what the business case is. They've just seen some cool tech and they just want to go and use it, do it, have it. Yeah, I'd agree. And uh, I mean, on the one hand, there's the tech enthusiast that found a nice thing and tries to build something with it and try to make something cool out of it, which is one way that usually solves itself. But it does kind of mean that there's a need for it. And in the end, it takes a while, but it does straighten itself out and gets to a successful conclusion with a bit of luck. Also, the second part that I would put under this category, which is where big uh, C-level says, everybody is doing Y, we are not doing Y, so we need to do Y as well. You underlings do Y. There's no... At this point, it didn't uh, gestate from necessity. It kind of happened because somebody thinks we need to join the hype train. Let's do blockchain. (laughs) Why? I mean, blockchain is actually... this. I've been negative about blockchain, and yes, but I do like the technology. I think the technology is great. It's just it got put in every kind of thing just because everybody does blockchain. They make money. We make want to make money too. We need to do blockchain. And there's never a landing place there. There's never a point where the projects can get some stability, get a basis, and end up somewhere useful. That yeah. was my blockchain so, rant for today. Thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> so we, I mean, you see this coming up when you've got like top, top down things like you just talked about, Jan. You definitely see this when there's kind of bottom up things, when you've got, you know, a techie starting something. I, I also see this in supposedly well driven, well understood projects that organizations um, launch or, or attempt to, to carry out. And you have, you have what on the surface seems like something perfectly logical. You know, we, we've got scalability challenges, someone might say. It's like the often thing that you will hear from someone in, you know, in, a, in a sales cycle. They'll t- be talking to a vendor about how their current solution doesn't scale mm-hmm. for whatever need that might be. And I think a lot of people, especially like if you're, if you're on the vendor side of that equation, you should be asking questions about, okay, but what's the impact of that? If you're on the customer or prospect side of that equation, honestly, you should you should be asking yourself similar questions. Like, why do why do I care about how this thing is scaling? You know, what's the impact to my organization? What can I, you know, what what will I change if this thing can scale correctly? Because at some point you will get to a conversation around how much fixing this quote unquote scaling problem is going to cost. Uh, if you don't have a clear understanding, and this is the business case part of it, if you don't have a clear understanding of what the impact of you not being able to scale your current situation is, like very few organizations will go, oh, okay, so you just want it to go better. Oh, that's fine. I'm happy to sign up for multi-million dollar check for that no problem at all like go wild like that's just not the way that things work and i i see this again i see this all too often that that organizations start a project with what they probably think on the outset is a good set of criteria success criteria a good direction they want to go a good end state they want to be in but digging into those things you know, a little bit through the life of those, the early kind of discovery of those projects, often 
there's a lot more work that needs to be undone to kind of build that business case. And it's not just about the vendor themselves just kind of, you know, making sure that the there's money there for them, but it's it's for the the prospect and the customer also to make sure that they're not wasting their time on something that's actually they thought was important, but turns out to the business and to the company, it's really a science project or it's a nice to have or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as you often say, any projects that either make you money or save you money. And if that's not part of your success criteria, you don't have a business case. Yep, very true. Very true. All right. Uh, let's go on to um, you know, related or uh, adjacent to this, which is scope problems. Um, again, uh, it happens a heck of a lot where the scope is maybe unclear or uh, something I see all too often is where you have the the scope of the the situation changes depending on who you're talking to mm-hmm. and uh, many many times I'll have a conversation with one part of an organization and they'll explain the challenges with a project in one way and then you'll talk to someone else maybe at the same level but from a different team or a different group and they'll explain a subtly, sometimes subtly different, sometimes radically different view of what the real challenge is, what the real problems are that they're trying to solve. And and then you can have a third conversation with an exec and get a, like a third view. And this is one of the really, really interesting things about these kind of conversations is you often find, or I've often found myself in the position where you're actually connecting different parts of an organization together and actually helping them come up with a common view of what the scope is for the problem that they've got. And it's it's not that they don't talk to each other. It's just that they don't talk to each other about these particular challenges in these particular ways. And so like, there's almost naturally in many cases, there's some sort of... Um, like diversification of their understanding of a particular problem space. Yeah, I've actually got a relevant example here. I'm going to say, I'm not going to say who the organization is, but I got in communication with them and they had four MVPs, four minimal viable projects, products, sorry, for the same project, which doesn't make sense at all. An MVP should be the MVP and from there you build on. And for me, what turned what turned on that aspect is a problem with project management. There was a lot of mm. small things, and they all had good ideas, and they all had the input, and everybody was equal, and nobody had the will or the authority. I'll leave it in the middle because both could be valid to say yes and no. So there was no real project leader there, and a project leader shouldn't. Well, it's good if you understand what he's doing. I mean, what the project is about, but doesn't really need to know what the technology behind it is or what the idea is. All he needs to know is, this is my time frame. This is what you want to do. Well, this fits, this doesn't. Simple. Yeah. And if that's absent, yeah. that's when you get the feature creep. And of course, everyone has good ideas and all these things are good. There's nothing there that's bad or nefarious to the project. They're all good ideas. It's just, do you want to do all that at the same time? And still end up with a project that's finalized within six months instead of six years and yeah that was that was a fun one. yeah yeah and, and like that's that really leads us so like 
it's a blend between the the second one, which we just finished talking about, which is scope problems, and the the third one, which is management problems. But actually, the last point there on the on the scope problems, I also think falls into the management problems, which is, uh, um, you know, here he he lists it as ambiguous requirements prioritization, and I think that's that's scope and management, and it's exactly the things that you were just talking about. Like if you can't get a clear prioritization and it, as i say it's fine that different people have a different view of it that's mm-hmm. not a problem what and in fact it's expected but yep. what needs to happen is someone in management which is why this is a management kind of focused thing i think is someone in management needs to lead this and say okay i'm taking all of these inputs from this kind of set of of people across an organization and I'm going to stack rank the importance of the different things that they've brought up. Yeah. And like, you can't, like, everything cannot be the most important thing that we do. No, like, mine, everything, mine is. <laughs> it, well, of course, <laughs> if everything is the most important thing, then basically nothing is important. So exactly. you need to, you need to have some good prioritization. And uh, the, there's some particularly poor, um, text layout on this diagram which confused uh both Jan and myself for a little bit but the 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 piece here around management problems that's that's brought out as well beyond what we've just talked about is um inadequate internal versus external resource management and i i think i know what this is getting at mm-hmm. i think this is about where you've got um, like if you're bringing in specialists for a particular part of a project, then you know if you don't have an appropriate amount of those that specialist's time, and you're just trying to do you know something that's good enough, you know, that is often a, a a false economy. You often end up spending way more time and effort than you would have done if you just brought in an expert to to deal with that. Uh, but that to me is often a case case of how important is this to you? I regularly, you know, speak to organizations who are having, you know, small organizations having early conversations about spending several hundred thousand dollars, for example, on a particular thing that they're doing. And maybe the, if it's an early stage organization, but they've still got, an opportunity that they're they're preparing themselves for that's going to you know if all goes well make them tens of millions of dollars and the it's very easy to say oh well we've only got a small budget for this but what's the opportunity cost of you failing to meet that you know that challenge that's going to the or that that particular goal that's going to bring you that tens of millions of dollars of revenue if you if you fail at the first hurdle then everything else goes out the window. Mm-hmm. I was also kind of leaning towards the outsourcing versus insourcing dilemma mm-hmm. where you should always outsource if you can be more effective by outsourcing labor. That's fine. More hands on keyboards. That's good. If you can outsource that. But you shouldn't outsource knowledge. You should make sure that whatever those externals do, if they are critical, if they're creative, 
whatever they do, the knowledge should land in the team internally because else you will get that scope obfuscation. You will get problems with uh, continuation because a certain external party has a person that does everything, knows everything and leaves. Mm. You're dead. And what I see a lot is indeed that when a new big technology project needs to start because we need to jump on the bandwagon, coming back to the first one, we don't have people who can do this. No, but we'll go to put name in, uh, in in slot and there will mm-hmm. just, uh, descend an army of uh, consultants and they'll build it for you when it's done you sign off on it pay a million dollars they leave and you're stuck with what nothing that will really live long in the long term because flexibility is everything these days black blocks computing yeah. has gone out of the other fashion let's call it that you need to know what it's doing so you can build on top of it it needs to be incrementally expanded upon over time and having the intelligence not internally but only externally that's bad management decision yeah i generally agree i think there's i think there's some nuance there which is around um if there's like there's something that you can do that is important to you as a business but that you don't necessarily need to understand not understand it you don't need to operation you don't need to run it yourself you don't need to operate no. it yourself that's labor so think you know consuming SaaS products for example is a is a perfect example where sure. if if you don't need the the to the, actually the knowledge to operate and run that particular thing then there's no reason why you should like if it's not mm-hmm. a um totally. if it's not something that brings you um a particular um, differentiating business value, then, you know, do you really need to run it yourself? No, I mean, I see running infrastructure as labor, and if you can outsource that, that's great. But configuring the tool you're using or the choice of the tool that you're using, wherever it's running, mm. that's creative. And you need to know why you picked uh, that pickaxe yeah. instead of that pickaxe. Well, because that one has advantage ABC, which that one doesn't have. If that knowledge isn't internalized, you lose that the moment you change outsourced company or something like that. If the configuration, just copying a config file is fine to make it all still work, but knowing why the configuration was set in a certain way should steer future decisions. So if you don't have that knowledge internal, again, that's why I said the creative part of it. Mm. Yeah, running VMs, that's used to be creative. I mean, when I was young, that was a very creative endeavor. (laughs) But today that's, yeah, that's mass production. Yeah, okay. So that's the first category of stuff. And as a reminder to those following along at home, those are things that, you know, should not necessarily torpedo your project, but they're definitely, they definitely introduce risks and you need to kind of resolve them as quickly as you can. Do we first want to talk about how you might resolve them or do we first talk about the other three and then do a summary? I think we can talk about the other three and I think we can possibly do a second episode about uh, how you could resolve these things. Hey, hey. So let's look at the the next three now. So these are, according to the author, these are unsurmountable. Um, yeah, unsurmountable. You should just give up, go home, and <laughs> bury your head under your pillow. Um, I don't. Yeah, we we don't agree with that, but I do think that they are. They're definitely uh, the harder problems. Yeah, they're the harder problems. They're the more significant problems. They're the problems that will cause you a lot more. Uh, heartache than than the first three so 
Yeah, moving from kind of left to right for again for those following along on YouTube, um, talent problems. I mean, we we were just talking about kind of outsourcing, and you know that's one way to augment um, a, a project, but that only goes so far. You need people that are going to un- that are going to understand this after. The, the the outsourcing or the augmentation staff have kind of phased out of a project. It's no good having something great. We've got this wonderful thing built, deployed. Nobody knows how to run it. I have no idea what it does, but it costs us a lot of money. Is not the outcome that you want to get at the end of a project completion. And it and this talks about ERP and and big data and innovation related projects projects but i honestly i see this as being any any project if you don't have staff that are you know talented who can get to the point that you need them then you're in a a giant world of hurt yeah i think the other kind of choose a couple of uh types of projects there so because there is a differentiation i think uh, there's something if you want to roll out office or google docs uh, of uh, google or things across your environments that's a do and forget kind of thing there's no creativity it's just deploying applications if you're talking about the big data innovation related projects and for a lesser part erp though that might also i'm not familiar too much with those things that's where you deploy a tool which then needs to be tuned needs to be used by people that know how this thing works not the tool itself but why it works that way how the underlying concepts and decisions and so on are based and that's i think why he put that in there and for the one hand you talked about having externals coming in to to, uh, to augment your team yeah that's great but the secondary thing here of course also is it's a finite pool of talent that's fairly small the more you go up the ladder of innovation and, and related projects I mean, big data engineers are getting more commonplace, data scientists less or so, but still there. But if you continue the the curve onto, I don't know, my own hybrid quantum computing, there's like five people. Well, I think there's two people in the world that understand quantum computing today. Somebody said that somewhere, I don't know. Um, So that's, of course, a problem that you can't solve by outsourcing, but you have to solve by training and experimentation doing Mm. that kind of stuff yourself and that's where for me in the article the the, the author goes wrong where he just does a categorical don't go there no it's what level of innovation of creativity are you looking at here because for a lot of things you should be able to get started with perhaps not the experts but as long as you give the person a reduced enough scope and enough time to get good they will yep. get good and you will have people in your organization that actually work that way. But don't yeah. try to build the next supercomputing system based on quantum bits today. That's not what a business should do. This is still too far in the uh, academic realm, let's call it that. And that's for yeah. me where it breaks up a bit. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And in fact, I was, what I was going to say is this does not mean that you need to have all of the like the experts in this realm, whatever realm it is that you're working in, from day one. This just means that you need smart people who can grow into these kind of technologies, who are interested and excited and motivated to engage in these projects. This doesn't mean you need to staff, you know, a, a team with experts in these technologies. 
it's more important that you've got a highly motivated, you know, eager to learn team that are excited about the opportunities. That for me is always more important and always, always more interesting as well. Um, yeah, not nothing wrong with hiring a few kind of experts or augmenting your team with a few experts. In fact, I would strongly recommend it. But Especially for the also, if you've got, yeah, yeah, as long as you've got a good, engaged, intelligent, switched on team, then and and as you say, the the scope and the timelines are at least vaguely reasonable. Then you, you're setting yourself up in a in a good direction. Mm-hmm. All right, so. Support problems. This, I mean, it's it's not support in the perhaps traditional sense you might initially think of, but no, supporting um, the talent. Yeah, like supporting supporting the project, I guess. Really, mm-hmm. so if if I mean the the three sort of headings. One is inexperience with major technology projects, and I guess that's just like across the board. Like if. If you if no one that you're working with has ever run a big project before, and this, to be fair, this article is talking about big technology projects. Uh, I I don't think that there is all that much difference between running a small technology project and a big technology project, but mm-hmm. I get that. Uh, I, yeah, the the differences do scale up. I agree, but like if you get the fundamentals right on a small project, that also scales up as well. So. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, this is a total anti-pattern because if you are inexperienced with major technology project, that's the best way to start one today, and not to wait until you need one tomorrow without experience. But I think what th- I, I think what this is saying is, uh, if every, if no one has any experience, then you're probably going to have a rough ride. Like at least someone should have run a big project before. Like if you're all learning from from this. You, you know set yourself some some low expectations and some and reduce the scope as much as you can or but, get that outside help yeah yeah exactly so there's there's a number of of sort of pieces around this um you know inadequate well inadequate and inconsistent support from sponsors and stakeholders again to me this is something that blends a little bit across management and and scope to be honest but it's it's the supporting function of if you've got leaders in an organization who maybe flip-flop on how important something is, that's, again, like you're, you're doomed. Like you're never going to get that budget approved. You're never going to get that purchase made. You're never going to, you know, successfully deliver that project the way that you want to because you're continually being told, this is the most important thing that this company is doing this year and this is not important at all please stop working on it and stop wasting your time like, <laughs> i've seen i've seen those extremes kind of flip-flopping around and those projects are yeah are train wrecks yeah i would also say it's part maybe lack of technological maturity on the higher end of the arc of the uh, hierarchy i mean if your leadership doesn't understand uh, blockchain and they still want you to do a blockchain thing because co-CEO does blockchain stuff and you want to be able to join them in the, at, the, at the golf club and talk about the subject 
you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you asked. So it has no importance. And so flip-flopping becomes, oh, we need to cut the budget somewhere while the blockchain thing, we're doing it now so we can just add less support there. We don't need it that much because basically, again, mm. there was no reason to start in the first place. And maybe that's also a, re a way of looking at this inadequate or uh, inconsistent support from sponsors and stakeholders. If they started with, again, what we talked about earlier again with the scope and definition problems, they came, came from that do this for no real reason at all you don't have a real compelling event that's what the uh, sales parlance yep. uh, usually uses for this to make it important for the business and to make sure you get the support and get the budget and things like that and for a member of a project team that's part of this i mean whenever i'm asked to do something that's the first thing i'll look for is there a real reason why we're doing this and does the guy that's commissioning this project actually understand this reason and is behind this because if that's not the case yep. I'm not going to say I'm going to waste my time because sometimes it's a fun thing to do and I learn something anyway. So good for me. But on the whole, it's something you should stay away from, I think. Yeah. I also think that, um, you know, we talked about flip-flopping is one like terrible behavior from stakeholders. The other one that I, I've also seen firsthand is shiny object syndrome, where you've got, you know, it, it's kind of related to what you were talking about around the, the, the co-CEO that wants to learn blockchain, but like the, the the people who literally kick off projects like they're um, buying candy and uh, they just kick off project after project and because that's the new hotness, that's the new thing that's interesting and exciting and they, they never then think about the impact. They're always kind of devaluing projects that they have, have been worked on, maybe had significant amounts of effort poured into, and then they just get, you know, canned before they even get any level of completion. And all you're doing is just burning through people's uh, time and, you know, rarely delivering anything. And then, of course, the, the conversations then come about, like, why haven't you done anything? Like, why haven't you achieved any of these things that I've set for you? And this is a... That's another interesting sort of uh, thing. That's perhaps how to deal with these things. We'll we'll cover another time. But yeah, if you if you see any of those behaviours, very very dangerous to a project's success. Yeah, and not only top down, I mean bottom up as well. If you do have the bottom up approach, where the bottom layer can give give ideas and work upon them, if there's not that top layer that rationalises this, you get the same thing. Too much. Too much projects going on with yeah. too little resources. Nothing gets him. Everything is important, so nothing is important, as you said earlier. Mm -hmm. and the same problem occurs there. Yep. And then the last one, I mean, culture problems is how it's identified here. And this is, again, it's related to some of the things that we've already talked about. Um, but you can have you can have a a culture where um projects just do not succeed like i i've i've seen organizations where you ask them about you know previous projects that they've worked on and how those have been successful <laughs> and they've struggled really to describe anything that they would call truly successful um you can have culture problems with um, with, you know, managers, you can probably have culture problems with, um, people picking technologies based on relationships rather than, you know, concrete choices. You can have culture problems 
just due to you know a, a team's makeup or construction and, and diversity you can have you know a, any or all of these culture problems will cause pretty significant risks again to any any sort of project yeah and this of course where the author also is right this is a very hard one to change because culture is something that grows over time it's not something you can change on a on the spot though it is possible I mean, I've worked for a huge yeah. uh, tech company that is actually a proving point. I'll let it over to the listener and watcher to decide which company that might be. But it is definitely possible, but it is a hard thing to do and it needs to be driven from the top. It needs to be incentivized, it needs to be checked, it needs to be balanced, it needs to be done correctly, not uh, too hard-handedly, but it's a hard thing to do. But that being and said, everyone everyone needs to buy into it as well. Like you, it's not just like well, top down dictatorial approach. Like you need to you need to buy into it, or you need to say this isn't right for me, and I'm I'm off. Well, that's where the incentivization comes from, because you're never gonna have everybody in everybody buy in on whatever you're doing. There's always gonna be one criticaster and, and one annoying person, usually me, uh, who's gonna be against the grain. And that's why we make sure it's incentivized that you actually show the person, and this is valid not just for culture, but for anything you do in life, basically. If you can show the person who's contrarian that there's something in it for him or her, then he will come on board. He might not be the most enthusiastic part of, your, of the project, but as long as he's not negative, that he's not breaking things down, stopping things, or causing blockades, that's fair. I mean, a critical voice is good for a project. That you shouldn't have all the yaysayers. There should be naysayers in there as well. Yeah. But just make sure yeah. that they're constructive criticism and not just, I don't care. Yeah, dumping on something for the sake of it. Yeah, and incentivization. And I'm not talking money, right? Money is the worst incentive, incentive you can think of. Uh, my boss isn't listening to this. Uh, uh, money doesn't work for these kind of things. It works for other kind of things, but for incentivization, for culture change, it needs to be a much less material things. It must be much more growth mindset kind of stuff. I mean, given this plants and animals uh, realm at that point, but that's basically how it works. And that's how I have seen it work. Yeah. So, yeah, that's our, that's our view on projects, you know, succeeding or failing. Um, as I say, we, we didn't necessarily think the very best of the article, but I thought the, the diagram was pretty good in, in my usual form. It's often my view of things. Um, and if you're interested in, in us digging deeper into, uh, you know, how we think you could resolve some of these things, then, yeah, make fire us an email send us a comment comment on youtube even and uh, let us know what you think yeah just one quick question if you have these six ones which ones would you tackle first you just say which one don't say why mm. for the for a long-term success plan right i think Okay, so I'm going to be a little bit woolly. I think it would either be definition or scope. Interesting, because I would go full heartedly for culture. As you okay. see, listeners and viewers, this might be a good continued <laughs> conversation. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So with that, unless there's uh, anything else from you, Jan? A whole lot, but that's for the next episode. All right. In that case, 
That is all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution helps. We're on YouTube. You can like, you can subscribe, you can hit the notification bell, you can even comment about which particular uh, box you would check first if uh, you had this, these six challenges uh, in a project of yours. Uh, please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about the podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag and send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is Try Not to Fail Dave. And my name is Failers on an Option And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. <laughs>